In New Jersey, we found some key Welcome to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. We're your hosts. I'm Mike Perino. I'm Casey McLean. This week, we're going to provide you with a coronavirus update. Uh, after that, we'll take you to Murphy's Corner, talk about what's been going on in the orbit of the governor. From there, we'll talk about how New Jersey is going to be quarantining visitors from certain infected states um, and what that kind of means. After that, we'll talk about a Business Insider article where they basically say that the federal government is going to stop uh, funding some testing centers in New Jersey and some other states. After that, we'll talk about um, the kind of contradictory reopening of New Jersey right now because we have schools that are reopening and indoor dining uh, being indefinitely closed. So it kind of puts everything up in question of like, where are we? Are we in phase two and a half? Were we in phase two and a half or three? And then we took a step back. Like, where, where, where are we on this reopening plan? So we'll talk about that. Uh, after the headlines, I'm going to talk about the history of the Aaron Burr-Alexander-Hamilton duel. And Casey's going to talk about what do you guys talk about, Casey? I will be doing a segment highlighting a few Black-owned restaurants in New Jersey that are available for delivery. And I don't think any of them, from what I was researching, they don't have, obviously, dine-in options. And I mean, that's going to be part of a later headline story. But, <laughs> but that's my segment. All right, great. Let's jump into it. So little problem with the coronavirus <laughs> stuff. It's hard to get daily numbers because it doesn't seem like uh the original source that i was going to doesn't seem to be collect that is google doesn't seem to be collecting uh the daily numbers anymore after june 18th but i found a newjersey.com article which kind of runs through it so the new jersey cases as of june 30th are 171,667 positive cases with 15,035 deaths the numbers are overall trending downward in terms of like the virus's uh, reproduction rate in New Jersey based off of the information that I'm seeing on nj.com. However, uh, as we will mention and talk about later, the situation in the United States, although it's not as bad as it was in New Jersey uh, a couple months ago, situation overall in the country is actually probably the worst it's ever been in terms of the yeah. coronavirus. So uh, that's not good. <laughs> and we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. Part of the problem with getting a, those are just the reported cases. And we saw yeah. uh, that the CDC is saying that there are probably about, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but uh, there's probably 10 times the amount of COVID-19 cases in the U.S. So on the one hand, that's bad um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. On the other hand, not that it's good, but it explains the mortality rate uh, a little bit because if if we have say say it's the same ten times the amount of cases in New Jersey, so say that'd be uh, like a million cases yeah. of coronavirus. That would still mean that assuming the deaths are all accurately counted for, I mean, I doubt it's going to be ten times more deaths. Yeah, that would just mean that the mortality rate is lower than we had previously expected. But still, really, does people hear that and then they go, "Oh, it's good. I can do whatever I want." No, it's still a very no. deadly disease. <laughs> it's just not as de it's deadlier than the flu, but not as deadly as as we previously thought. But yeah, that's even not even exactly true because uh, it's people in China and other researchers have been saying for a while, like they've been adequate, like adequately explaining what the death rate means at, the, at every time they've been explaining it just no one's been listening to what like what the scientists have been saying they've just yeah. been like and know. and not for nothing you are going into an american demographic now with covid so you have people who don't have hospital care like they aren't near a hospital so you're going into rural areas where these spikes are going to start happening and people like, I don't know about other people's families, but my family growing up was very much, a, I'm not going to the hospital, like, unless I'm dying. And even then, it's still, like, an argument. So you have this older generation, like a Southern generation, and a mindset that you don't believe in COVID, and these people are going to be hit. And we are number one for obesity, basically, in the United States. I think we're, like, top 10 we yeah, don't have, the have best, uh, not uh, the best health care in general. Yeah, and, and the 
with the record of unemployment, more people have less, uh, less have no coverage. Yeah. Um, so, so all these yeah. come into play when you're looking at the mortality rate and it's going to get worse. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because, uh, it's, it's kind of what like leftists have been saying for a while that you can't just isolate every one of these issues. They're like all linked in a certain way. Yeah. You know, like how, uh, society, uh, like how healthy it is in both like literal terms of like, you know, what is the health of the members of society, but also like, is it a good society to live in, uh, the economy, the political system, and like our public health policy, all of these are clearly linked. Um, and it should be evident now based on like how disastrous the coronavirus thing, uh, yeah. pandemic has been and how our government has completely failed that these things are linked <laughs> it, it doesn't need to be as our situation both our economy and the actual health situation doesn't need to be as bad as it is no. uh, it, it's just bad because we have no leadership and yeah. uh, our people well our leaders care more about their own profits or the profits of the people they serve than the people who uh, actually live and work in this country yeah yeah so moving on let's talk about um yeah great, tran great transition uh a classic transition uh we'll move on to murphy's corner uh yeah what has been going on murphy's corner yeah so there's only been two executive orders i believe since we last covered murphy's corner so executive order 158 signed in by Murphy on the 29th. So Governor Murphy signs executive order temporarily pausing the resumption of indoor dining. Uh, Ring-a-ding-ding. And then also a day after that, on the 30th, Governor Murphy signed executive order 159, which extends certain statutory deadlines across the state government. So pretty, I'm not going to get into the press releases because it's pretty cut and dry what these mean. Yeah. And we're going to talk more about indoor dining in New Jersey. And then also, you know, my segments on restaurants in New Jersey. So that's really it. I do want to highlight that we should be keeping an eye on not just our executive branch, but our um, legislative branch of government. So both the federal, our senators and our assembly people and our state officials as well. So just to highlight quickly, you know, if you go to congress.gov, you can look up your senator. So our senators, of course, are Menendez and uh, Booker. And if you go on that site, you can see all the bills that have their name attached to it and see if it's been introduced. And you could, um, I'm trying to figure out the right filter, date of introduction, I guess latest action, newest to oldest. There's a few, I wish it would just say, you know, what's being passed um, versus a weird filtering system. But again, all this is there for you to look at and hold your elected officials accountable. Um, what's funny, though, is in speaking about transparency and our elected officials, Menendez doesn't have what Booker has on his own personal like congressman website. And uh, Booker actually has a feature on his website where, you know, if you click on the the menu, you have about about Corey, committee assignments, press kit, legislation issues and services. And if you go from there to legislation, it's an automatic feed of all the bills he has a hand in. And Menendez doesn't have that on his site. So I just want to highlight that. And so it's, again, keeping a keeping your elected officials accountable, but also being able to access that information and be able to digest it and understand it. And who's winning and who's not. Booker's doing a pretty good job about being transparent, even though I don't, you know, see eye to eye with him on a lot of things. And I think a few weeks ago, if you have, maybe it was like the first episode we did, Mike, you were talking about his challenger. Um, yeah, Larry Ham. Larry Ham. He's still yeah. going. It's actually funny. My my dad was just like, I heard about this Larry Ham guy. You know anything about him? I was like, take listen to the first episode. <laughs> Jersey Matters, Dad. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he's hearing this now. He's probably laughing. But... <laughs> um, yeah dad it's good it's it's good it, he's a good i like it larry ham uh i like his his like background it's very uh both working class and um activist and an activist oriented but not in that kind of i'm coming from afar to bring you enlightenment uh yeah. like for people it's 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 grassroots. built out of like he's a, it's a grassroots a real organic kind of organizer and um i hope people uh vote for him in this upcoming uh 
primary because yeah. uh, it, it's just, I think it would be better. We needed a change. Um, yeah, Booker has, I haven't seen Menendez ever do a presidential bid in my time of, you know, being engaged in politics, but Booker's tried it. I don't think he it. has the will or constitution <laughs> to do anything but autopilot his way through the Senate. Or, uh, like yeah, a robot. So, beep, boop, yeah. beep. Just... Yeah. <laughs> And I, I want to say also a highlight to LegiScan. I like to look at it at least once a week and just give it the once over to see. And this is a better filtering system. You know, you can pick out what bills have passed and been approved or been filed with the Secretary of State. Uh, a couple of things that have stuck out of the crowd. Because, you know, with politics, you're constantly getting like a... I don't know. I'm not boring bills, but pretty much, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, well, yeah, most, most of politics is just like routine stuff. They'll just yeah. vote for budgets. And most of the time, the budget bills are these uh, like ginormous, like 14,000 page like bills, with, yes. like, which just no one really reads. But, you know, there's there's bad stuff and good stuff in there. And the other thing, just to be caution, a cautionary thing is I like, try to... I think it's better to look at the context of why someone's voting for something. So, because, yeah. uh, because for instance, they love to do this. They'll package like something good, like end child slavery in the world bill or something yeah, like that. And book and then it. And they'll, they'll, they'll <laughs> add into it like, you know, oh, by the way, we're going to supply arms to like, you know, add Taliban terrorists or something like that. Yeah. And then someone will vote against it and be like, yo, we shouldn't do that. And they'll be like, wow, this guy doesn't like, uh, uh, he likes child slavery in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like we need to do is but the other thing's true too is that people, between the vote, lines people will vote for stuff so you have to look at even though these bills are really long kind of look at uh what kind of funding is the person getting and that'll yeah. give more reason of like what they're actually voting for um and then check the record see if see if it happens that they're always voting for the bills that benefit like wells fargo or or like like insurance companies and they're always getting money from wells fargo and insurance companies you, you can see that like this stuff actually does have an effect like giving yeah. money people matters and also knowing yeah. knowing your rights, you know what I mean? If, if laws are being passed without anyone holding people accountable, and if a new law, like there was one, it was like a viral video of an attorney being who was driving Uber or Lyft and his passenger was being arrested. And the one of the police officers that was surrounding the car said that it was illegal for him to film. That's a classic one to film the police activity. And he said it was... And the attorney was like, is this a new law? Like, I, I actually am a practicing attorney, and I, that, I've never heard of that. And the, the officer was like, yeah, it's just passed. And if you're an attorney, why are you driving Uber? He's like, what? what? <laughs> but um, I wanted to highlight one law that passed back in May. And again, like, these things just fly in under the radar sometimes, but... It's a really important one, and it requires hospitals to permit an individual to accompany a woman during childbirth, which during COVID, you've seen case over case over case of women having to give birth alone. So without anyone to accompany them or to why advocate for let, them. Why wouldn't they let the people there obviously around all the time come with them? It doesn't make any sense. Because of COVID, like they, <laughs> they already are, but it's, like it's they live in the same place. Like, it's I not... know, but I know it seems silly, but that was the protocol because no yeah, one knew yeah. how the virus is spreading. And again, it was something that was put into action because people were afraid, rightfully so. And then now they're rolling things back just a little bit because people have been complaining. And like you said, if you're in the same household as someone and you're already quarantining with them and they are, you know, your co-parent or maybe your support system in, you know, one of the most dangerous things you could do, which is give birth, especially in this country. Uh, <laughs> and it's just a, a nice little, nice little tidbit that I learned while browsing LegiScan. So that's, that's it for Murphy's Corner. All right, hold, so hold everyone accountable. <laughs> so I want to talk about. Let's go back to the coronavirus stuff. Let's talk about New Jersey quarantining visitors because this is um, something I am so for. But then we do it, and I'm like, <laughs> why do we do it in this way? So I'm reading from the New York Times, which of course, being a New York Times, it leads with New York. Uh, New York will impose quarantine on visitors from states with big outbreaks. New Jersey and Connecticut will also require visitors to quarantine for two weeks. So to talk about uh, the the order 
is a joint travel advisory with the two other states uh, and would take effect uh, midnight on last Wednesday. He said that, uh, Mr. Cuomo said that the quick implementation was aimed at preventing a rush of travelers trying to avoid the requirement, which yeah. currently applied to Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, and Utah. Failure uh, to quarantine in New York could result in a $1,000 fine, uh, Mr. Cuomo said. However, travelers to New Jersey and Connecticut would be told to quarantine, though officials from both states said there was no enforcement mechanism at the moment. Classic. Who's going to do it? <laughs> Who's going to enforce? I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't. If they, uh, they're like, oh, you have to self-quarantine. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, or what? Uh, nothing. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's... Uh, classic New Jersey. Classic. I actually donated blood on Sunday. No. Was it Sunday? Or was it Monday? Who knows? It was Monday. Um, <laughs> and that was a new screening because I went previously to donate platelets. And yesterday they said that they questioned me if I had been to Arizona or like the, the forbidden states basically now. And they said that you're supposed to self-quarantine for two weeks if you have been there. And there's no way to enforce it. There's no way to check on it. You know what I mean? You can't keep track of who's traveling where. This isn't like a, uh, what is it called? What kind of state? I forgot the word. It's not author authoritarian. It's like, like even a, worse, like totalitarian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That one. Um, yeah. Where everything is watched and, you know, we're not we're not that. We're not that at level. And you can't enforce people. Like, people ob obviously are not doing anything anymore that imposes any way on them anymore. They're tired of it. So I'm not going to expect anyone who's traveling from another state to respect New Jersey's boundaries and quarantine New Jersey's not even doing that, you know? <laughs> yeah. What I didn't know is that three months ago, Florida issued an order quarantining uh, visitors of New York. Did you know that? I didn't no. know that. Yeah. And now Florida's complaining about it happening to them when they yeah. had uh, months to prepare for this. Instead of... <laughs> but you're right. Like, people aren't going to listen to this. No. And it's just a, uh, you know, a, a suggestion. I don't think it'll be that hard to figure out if people quarantine, like, It'll be difficult if people just come and visit the family because then there's like no way for them to really know. Yeah. Right. But if you're like staying at like a hotel or something like that, uh, usually you have to fill out a form. And if they just see you came from Florida, they could just enforce a quarantine on you or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I would do it. But it's, you, uh, but you can't though. Remember, um, what was the what was the big Ebola virus? Yeah, when Ebola virus hit, and you had that nurse that would went overseas to, you know, obviously lend her services to people in need. And she came back, national news, do you remember? Um, she was a New Jersey resident and she flew in and they like surrounded her basically and forced her on quarantine and they locked her in her house. And they first put her in a tent at the airport, I think. I'm probably getting the facts wrong, but like, do you yeah, remember the, that? Yeah, the, the important stuff for the show. No, I'm just... <laughs> 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 no, I actually don't remember that. Like, it sounds vague, vaguely familiar, but um, I barely remembered that uh, we accused Iran of destroying a uh, civilian airliner thing, um, which happened in, I think, January. So it wasn't yeah. even that long ago. So, like, a lot of, uh, like, yeah, this... major news that would have, like, in any other time period have been, like, dominating for months are just, like, gone from memory at this point. Yeah, so this was um, back in 2018. She was called the Ebola nurse who sued Chris Christie <laughs> is working for Doctors Without Borders again. So she was originally, she um, it was during the 2014 Ebola scare. She's apparently returned to work for um, the organization again. But back in, back in 2014, she was pulled aside for a health screening at New York Liberty International Airport. Side note, this means that we had these, you know, these protocols in place. Yeah. Back then. So a thermometer test, surprise, surprise, said that she registered a slight fever and officials then detained her at the airport for several hours before she was transferred to University Hospital in Newark. And then she was placed in a quarantine in a clear plastic isolation tent within the hospital, but didn't register a fever um, when they took her temperature again. And then she tested negative for Ebola on the second day at the hospital but have spent another two days in isolation there. Then I remember she was- Do they make like, her pay for this stuff? 
I don't know, but she sued, she sued in 2015, about a year after her quarantine, um, against Governor Chris Christie at the time, claiming her rights were violated for political gain because Christie was trying to, you know, say that he was hard and um, taking this poor nurse and <laughs> yeah. putting her in solitary confinement, basically. And um, at a campaign event, he said, quote, I've been sued a lot of times before. Get in line. I'm happy to take it on. Uh, <laughs> oh my god that worked so well for him <laughs> and it led to um the, the lawsuit settlement led to a quarantine bill of rights in 2017 which says anyone suspected of contracting the ebola virus cannot be quarantined without receiving the state's written medical justification and chance to challenge the decision so that i'm fine with this was right? the precursor and we should have again like you when history repeats itself and we fail to recognize you know and put the changes in place to prevent it from happening again this is where we are right now so now we're asking people to voluntarily self-quarantine we're not enforcing it at all i don't understand we already have the the <laughs> rule in place to like justifiably quarantine people and yeah. we just don't use it. Yeah, this was on There's no <laughs> point in of, of having power if you don't exercise it. Yeah, it could be like if we had, because that's Newark Airport, that is New Jersey. If we initially started doing temperature checks on every single person that was coming in there, you know, it takes two seconds, two seconds to scan your forehead. Yeah, um, like, I know Murphy is doing better than most governors, but I think it's just, and we've criticized them, but, <laughs> but, uh, rightfully uh, so, rightfully so, but it's a, it's a, it's a very low standard, right? Being yeah. better than most governors in the United States. Uh, so like, very, part, very part low. Kind of pisses me off. Cause it's like, you are, I didn't know this. Like you are, we already had this stuff in place. Like, yeah, just do it. Like, do like, it. like why? I, I think they just don't, even the ones that are like sympathetic to it, don't want, to do much about coronavirus because yeah. they're thinking about their re-elections. That's like exactly all and it if is. You, if you look at other countries who correctly handle the situation, Murphy was originally trying to follow what they were doing. He was trying to learn and try to implement things as as time progressed. But then he was threatened to be arrested because he went to a protest. And then he rolled it back and suddenly the pandemic is spreading across the country again, and now he's rolling it back. So, yeah. you know, what what is happening? <laughs> yeah. So on that, let's talk about the uh, government ending testing sites. This is, yes. uh, this really bothered me. I read this, uh, I think I sent it to you as soon as I read it. I was like, yeah. look at this. This is like, like you apocalypse can't have, stuff. You can't have a COVID positive test results if you don't have any tests. Yeah, you know? yeah. And we're testing, you know, testing is a double-edged sword. We've tested now 25 million people. It's probably 20 million people more than anybody else. Germany's done a lot. Uh, South Korea's done a lot. They call me, they say, the job you're doing, here's the bad part. When you test, a, when you do testing to that extent, you're gonna find more people, you're gonna find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. They test and they test. We got tests that people don't know what's going on. We got tests. We got another one over here. The young man's 10 years old. He's got the sniffles. He'll recover in about 15 minutes. That's a case. Add up to it. That's a case. That's a case. Yeah. <laughs> It's like frequently been saying it for months. Like we should just stop testing people and then we wouldn't have a problem. And it's like, God damn. Yeah. From Business Insider, uh, the federal government is ending funding for coronavirus test sites in five states as Trump claims the U.S. is testing too much. And it says, I'm reading from the article, the U.S. federal government plans to stop funding and support for 13 coronavirus testing centers in five states on June 30th. So I guess it's ended. 13 affected sites are located in Texas, Illinois, New Jersey, Colorado, and Pennsylvania. They were set up early on in the outbreak for the federal government's amp up testing capabilities and taking some of the burden off of local and state governments. Funding for these testing sites expired June 30th, and federal officials are said to have decided not to extend it. The report comes after uh, uh, President Donald Trump said over the weekend that the U.S. high infection numbers were a result of widespread testing and adding that he had asked officials to start scaling back testing in response. 
In a later tweet, he added, the cases are going up in the U.S. because we're testing far more than any country. That's not true. I've said it every time. It's obviously not it's true. Not true. Yeah. With smaller testing, we would show fewer cases. Yes, you would show fewer cases if you tested less. That's literally the direct result of not testing. You know, he's a he's a genius. Um, nice. his his grandfather or great uncle, you know, <laughs> a stable one at that. <laughs> so he tweets: cases are going up in the U.S. because we are testing far more than any other country and ever expanding. What? With smaller testing, we would have fewer cases. He like uses the wrong adjectives. I don't want to nitpick, but do you notice that he doesn't? With smaller no. testing, what do you mean? With he means with like. Fewer tests, or if we tested not as often or less frequently, like smaller, like like the tests aren't a different size, dude. Listen, Mike, <laughs> are you in any position to question a genius? Like, yeah. So Trump? basically, I mean, how do I even word this? How would you word that? Like, we're screwed. How do you? <laughs> like, what else can I say? Uh, the maybe that's part of the reason why finding the testing numbers is so difficult because well, we used to have daily testing. And then ever since he started talking about how he wants to scale back testing, it's been a no lot more. harder uh, to find the daily numbers in New Jersey. I'm not saying they're directly related, but it's possible. And it's, um, it's also he, when he visited New Jersey, people were questioning, so are you going to self quarantine? And he said, he's not um, a civilian. So that doesn't apply to him. Yeah. I saw that. <laughs> so on a related note, NBC News had a good article saying that the CDC says COVID-19 cases in U.S. may be 10 times higher than reported. The estimate comes from a nationwide look at antibody tests. The true number of Americans who have been affected with COVID-19 may top over 20 million, according to new estimates from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Our best estimate right now is that for every case that's reported, there are actually 10 other infections, Dr. Robert Redfield, director of the CDC, said on a call with reporters on Thursday. The assessment comes from looking at blood samples across the country for the presence of antibodies to the virus. For every confirmed case of COVID-19, 10 more people had antibodies, referring to, if you don't know what those are, proteins in the blood that indicate whether a person's immune system has previously fought off the coronavirus. Okay, so the other thing uh, I'm kind of relating to that is I saw on, uh, what's his name, that nerdy guy on MSNBC, Chris Hayes. <laughs> so on Chris, on Chris Hayes' uh, program, he talked about how I think it was Florida tested like what was it? Did you see that? Where they tested like two hundred some people. This is like one hundred and thirty people, and no. every single person came back positive uh, with coronavirus. What? So they're like, oh, that's got to be wrong. Let's try it again. So they tested like <laughs> another hundred, and then everyone came back positive again. Like that's how widespread uh, yeah. coronavirus is. That's it, what happens when you don't, you know. Do a stay-at-home yeah. order and close beaches and all the things that you're supposed to do during a pandemic. Yeah, so so the idea that testing, I think we've pretty much refuted that if you test less, well, logic itself is self-evident and refutes it. <laughs> but we've, I think, kind of beaten a dead horse now that, you know, like the situation's way more grave than uh, our leaders are, you know, making it out to be. Yeah. So... If you don't have anything else to add, I think we should just go on no. to uh, the confusing yeah, reopening. <laughs> yep. Okay, so let's talk about schools reopening first, and then we'll talk about uh, things closing. <laughs> so Open and close. Yeah. So the governor issued guidelines for schools to reopen, uh, which, yeah, it's summer now, so schools aren't reopening until the fall. Uh, so all this stuff is basically very tentative, probably will change depending as the situation changed changes but as of as of right now public schools in new jersey will be open uh for you know like indoor classrooms but their classes won't be exactly the same uh, students have to stay six feet apart in classrooms and on buses uh lunch times how be do snagged. you do that on a bus that's what i was wondering like you're gonna have to have like 10 times more buses to get people to school like i don't understand how you're gonna do it Lunch times will have to yeah. be staggered. Teachers will be required to wear masks. Students will be strongly encouraged to wear masks, but they aren't required to wear them. Are uh, you kidding me? Yeah, well, I honestly understand that because I don't see how you're going to get uh, younger kids to wear masks, to be honest. Like, I just don't see how you're going to get them to wear masks uh, for, for hours. However, they, they will be required to wear them when they can't maintain social distancing at school. And there's a couple more, but it's not even, I don't honestly think it's even worth reading the guidelines because they're all going to change. At what cost? Um, so, yeah, that's kind of crazy. And I'm not against the regulations. It's just strange. Uh, I don't like, like, why, what benefit is there to bringing people back to school as opposed yeah. to just having them Stay at uh, home learn and... from home? I, yeah. 
I mean, I understand learning from home is not optimal, but uh, at how least you would save money. Optimal? You would well, save money. We're not actually. Uh, we're not thinking this through from a macroeconomic perspective <laughs> now that I think about it, because if their goal is to reopen the economy and people like kids are just going to be home without parents, they're yeah. forced to work. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of what happens when you, you know, don't prioritize rigorously <laughs> quarantine yourself. As we said in like, I think whatever we started this January or February. Yeah. We're like, Hey, maybe we should do what they're doing over in those Asian countries where like they don't have the problem anymore. And then yeah, where they eradicated the freaking pandemic. Yeah. So Moving on, let's talk about uh, what is going on with indoor dining because we had two, two, like two rules. <laughs> so, <laughs> indoor dining in New Jersey. What was it? first? It was outdoor dining, and then it became an issue. Yeah. And so that postponed indoor dining. So this yeah. article from uh, NJ.com titled. From bar fights to chill fire pits, Jersey Shore nightlife remains a coronavirus work in progress. So this, <laughs> this was basically like NJ.com did like an investigative report. They put journalists in, you know, the belly of the beast that is the Jersey Shore nightlife scene. And basically it was a nightmare. So if you go on the website for this article, ng.com, and, you know, you search this, you can see footage from the night of, you know, people not social distancing, not wearing masks. There isn't a hand sanitizer station in sight. And it's just, it's a nightmare. And obviously with drinking, there was a bar fight at one of the bars and it probably wasn't the only one of the night. And there's just no enforcement. And the, the establishments want to make money, but they can't enforce people to do anything, especially in a bar scene, because you have the excuse, well, I'm here to drink, so I can't have a, a mask on my face while I drink. And like that was what happened. I wanted to, I think I mentioned it before, I went to a restaurant just to experience it for the first time and see how things were in effect. And the biggest concern I had, which was pr proven, was that the it wasn't an issue with the restaurant not maintaining the guidelines, but it was the the uh, the people who were you know what is what, how am I blanking on the word the customers um <laughs> so the patrons of the establishment and people weren't wearing masks in like the because you had to either make a reservation or you walk up and put your name in as a, a usual as it usually goes at a restaurant. And I walked up to go check and see like where my husband's name was in, in line. And as I walked up there, this crowd of people like followed me because they needed to put their name in and they, they broke into two groups. So one of the groups went in front of me and then the other group like surrounded me in the back. And then they just became closer and closer until they enclosed me into their group. And I just, I was wearing a mask and then none of them were wearing a mask. <laughs> and I was like, internally screaming because there's signs everywhere that says maintain a social distance and also there's like the lines on the ground that indicates what six feet apart from the person in front of you looks like and you don't need to go in a pack to go put your name in for the restaurant so after that experience <laughs> I decided I would probably not go out again because you can't trust the other people who think that their freedom to drink and to eat puts your freedom to not possibly die from the virus, you know, at the bottom, you know, like it, it, it's just shocking. And because of this, Governor Murphy has rolled back the plans to open indoor dining because it's not the establishment's fault, technically, that their patrons are not following through with the regulations. And they are at a in a bind the restaurants and the owners and the people the staff that work there because they want to make money and they can't make money if they're not open and if the people are coming in and the government isn't forcing them to you know wear a mask and social distance they can't do it you know their hands are tied so <sighs> yeah didn't he um didn't murphy use his favorite line again that people were acting like knuckleheads or something like that i'm trying to yeah, remember that's a signature yeah, hashtag that's a signature yeah yeah, I like how like that's the most offensive thing he'll say. Well, because he can't like tell them, you know, like 
Fuck off. Like, I mean, like, our president does and gets away with it. He says stuff like that all the time. He says heinous things, yes. I mean, mean, I'm not saying cool shit. He says, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely heinous. Yeah, and, like, Terrible stuff. And Biden says stuff like, you ain't black, Jack. And you're just like, yeah. what the hell? Like, how does he get away with this? Oh, and, he, and he also called someone like a, a something pony soldier. Oh, I remember like, this one. Uh, a lying dog face pony soldier. Yeah. Like, yeah. what does that even mean? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. So, like, I think I think Murphy gets once a month, like, one free, like, like stop being a jackass. Like, stop, yeah. like that's it. He gets, can go a little further than, yeah. than Knucklehead. I'm going to um, I'm gonna advise them of this next time I see him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, what's happening. And yeah. the more and more people, because this is a holiday weekend coming up, the more that people disobey the orders, the more it's going to last and the more we're going to get reinfected. Yeah. This is what it is. Okay. I'll move on to uh, the article about NJ Transit because as we've reported before, NJ Transit is one of the biggest things in new jersey that most new jerseyans have used at a time or use it regularly to commute into work and wanted to highlight that new jersey transit has received 13 million dollars as a part of the cares act and the cares act which we've talked about before is the coronavirus relief package that passed through congress and that's you know how we got the trump bucks and that's how billionaires and major corporations were bailed out a lot more heavily and uh, more favorably than the citizens of the country. But that's neither here nor there. The The CARES Act <laughs> is going to award this grant to the, the transportation agency for the fiscal year 2020, and it will help sustain existing local transportation in rural areas in New Jersey, particularly used by senior citizens, people with disabilities, and the economically disadvantaged. So they're going to distribute the grants for operating, planning, capital, and administrative expenses for the existing rural transit providers throughout New Jersey. And Governor Murphy about this said, quote, we are grateful that the U.S. Department of Transportation recognizes the economic impact of COVID-19 on New Jersey's local transportation providers and their ability to provide essential services to remote and vulnerable populations. By providing the vast majority of these funds to counties and municipalities, we can ensure that transit services remain accessible and available to our rural communities who depend on them. And the New Jersey Transit President CEO, Kevin Corbett, said, quote, Residents in rural areas who most depend on these essential services can be confident that the transportation they desperately need will be sustained thanks to this funding. This support for our local providers will help fill transportation gaps for New Jersey Transit's dependent residents. So this looks like a good thing for New Jersey for once, and it's says that the agencies will have to develop and implement policies and procedures regarding face coverings and PPE, personal protective equipment, cleaning and disinfectation of frequently touched surfaces, physical separation, hand hygiene consistent with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, and Occupational Safety and Health Administration, so OSHA guidance. And um, the CARES Act funding can be used to cover this 100%, um, all these costs. And we've talked about before, so when you're implementing things opening or expanding during COVID, you also have to make sure you're adequately providing the tools that you need to follow the guidelines. So having you know, sanitization and hygiene stations and all this stuff on transit for these people who you know, ride into transit, it's vital to keep it in operation. And so it's a good thing for New Jersey. I don't know if that's going to be enough money, but it is what it is for now. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, what a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> what a time. Is, is that it for the headlines? That's it for the headlines. All right. I'll go first. Yeah. So Thinking I don't know about what made time me, to be alive. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what made me think of this, but I was like, where did the uh, Aaron Burr Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton duel take place? And I was like, oh, New Jersey. I was like, let me talk about this. And that's how this was born. So I'll give some background. <laughs> Both Hamilton and Burr eagerly joined the colonial army during the Revolutionary War. Burr fought in New York and New Jersey. Uh, he survived the 
uh, winter encampment at Valley Forge and served until ill health forced him to resign in 1779. Uh, Hamilton spent much of the war as an aide to General George Washington, who had taken him in under his wing before finding um, uh, victory at the battlefield at Yorktown. After the War for Independence, both Burr and Hamilton became lawyers in New York. Hamilton ended up serving as a delegate to the Constitutional Convention and co-authored the Federalist Papers. In 1789, George Washington appointed Hamilton as the Secretary of Treasury. Hamilton used his policy to advocate for strong centralized government and business-friendly policies. Uh, his arrogance and vitriol towards his political enemies gained him few allies during his tenure as Secretary of Treasury. In fact, Hamilton often quarreled both with his own uh, Federalist Party and with those belonging to the Democratic-Republican Party of Thomas Jefferson. While Hamilton was in national politics, Aaron Burr was climbing the ladder of New York state politics. He served in the New York State Assembly and as the state's attorney general. Unlike Hamilton, Burr aligned himself with the Jefferson's uh, Democratic-Republican Party and quickly became one of that party's rising stars. So some brief differences between the Federalist Party and the Democratic-Republican Party. Uh, in brief, the divide between the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans was a divide between competing ruling class interests. The Federalists were a party of merchants, landowners, and manufacturers, mainly based in the Northeast. The Democratic Republicans were mainly comprised of artisans, shopkeepers, and small farm owners. Their main base of support was found in the South, in New York, and in the rural Western frontier. The Federalists wanted a strong, centralized government that could carry out economic development in the interest of these merchants, landowners, and manufacturers. They favored high tariffs, protections for businesses, and the creation of a central bank. Democratic Federalists opposed tariffs, which, while they would be beneficial to northern business, would raise prices on foreign goods and hurt the incomes of the common worker and farmer. In 1798, the Federalists supported the Alien and Sedition Acts, which allowed the government to arrest and deport male citizens of foreign countries, as well as censor those who criticized the Federalist-led government at the time. That's right. The same founding fathers that passed the amendments, which became known as the Bill of Rights, the first one, which was the right of freedom of speech, half of them went on to support the federal government censoring those who were critical of the president and the government. Listen, so, you gotta you gotta pick and choose sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so the government's always had a uh, interesting relationship to freedom of speech. Returning to Burr and Hamilton, their divide was not just political and ideological, but also personal. In 1791, Burr used his influence to win appointment as U.S. Senator from New York. Burr's opponent was Hamilton's father-in-law, Philip Schuler. The Hamilton and Schuler families were furious at Burr's victory. Another point of contention came with Burr's presidential campaigns. In 1796, Burr ran for president and lost. He tried again in 1800, this time uh, running against Thomas Jefferson. Burr ran a clever campaign and beat Hamilton's faction, flipping the New York state legislator to the Democratic Republicans. However, when the national votes were tallied, Jefferson and Burr were tied. This meant that the House of Representatives had to choose who would become president. At this point, Hamilton's national career, uh, career was kind of heading south. He had spent the past few years attacking both Federalist John Adams and Democratic Republican Thomas Jefferson. But as much as Hamilton hated and disagreed with Jefferson, he actually thought Jefferson was at least a principled Democratic Republican. He believed that Jefferson genuinely believed the things that he believed in, but he didn't believe Aaron Burr was as principled as Jefferson. He actually thought that Burr was basically some kind of unprincipled opportunist who would say anything to advance his career. So Hamilton ended up supporting Jefferson, and he pushed for the House of Representatives to appoint Jefferson as president which they then promptly did. And you can imagine how much this pissed off Aaron Burr. The political system at the time, just so it's clear, because uh, it changed, was that whoever was in second place would become vice president. Like, you didn't run as a ticket. Uh, it's just oh. whoever... Yeah, so, so Burr became Jefferson's vice president. But because of Burr's campaign against Jefferson, uh, Jefferson kind of hated Burr. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, Rightfully uh, so. Yeah, so Burr uh, was kind of sidelined and uh, being Jeff Jefferson's VP kind of sucked. So, uh, because first the position was basically powerless. The VP doesn't do anything but vote in, uh, if there's a tie in the Senate. And, the, and we, you just wait for the president to die. That's like the only two things that the VP does. Yeah. And again, Burr- Still uh, today. <laughs> yeah, it's still today, basically. Yeah, and, and until then, Jefferson resented Burr for his campaign, so he basically sidelined him as VP and made him do nothing. When Jefferson ran for election in 1804, Burr decided to run for governor of New York. During the spring, a New York newspaper published uh, an article which included a letter from Hamilton's father-in-law 
in which Hamilton referred to Burr as a dangerous man. After several heated letters between Hamilton and Burr, Burr demanded that Hamilton apologize and recant his insults. Hamilton refused. Then, according to the New York Times, quote, Burr challenged Hamilton to a duel for having uttered an unspecified despicable opinion about him at an Albany dinner party months earlier. Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So Hamilton accepted and they both met in Weehawken, New Jersey on July 11th, 1804. There's two things people should know. First, that uh, Hamilton was an infamous shit talker. Uh, I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to get this through. Uh, I couldn't find many specific examples, but uh, apparently everyone didn't like no one really liked Hamilton because he just was uh, arrogant. He uh, insulted everybody uh, that he disagreed with, basically. Didn't tarnish their reputa that, yeah. uh, reputations. But he also like it wasn't just people who were against his ideological block. It was also like people who had minor disagreements with him within his own party. He was a like a dick to basically. So. He didn't really have much going for him, but Hamilton also didn't like the duel. His own son died uh, in a duel three years prior to his duel with Burr. So basically the legend has it that Hamilton accepted the duel to show his courage, but intended to throw the first shot to show his aversions to duels, which there's some evidence for this uh, uh, because there were farewell letters written to his friends and family. We can reasonably believe that Hamilton actually shot in the air. So Hamilton was basically gambling that Burr would be a gentleman and only shoot him in the arm and leg and not kill him. And nobody's exactly sure what went down on the duel that day. Hamilton and Burr both brought seconds, as they referred to, which were people who were supposed to supervise the duel. But they demanded that they turn their backs because technically the duel was illegal in New Jersey and they didn't want them to be implicated. So they're like, OK, you're here now. Just like don't pay attention to what goes on. And basically it it looks like Hamilton shot in the air and then Burr turned and shot him in the hip and then <gasps> Hamilton died the next day. No. Uh, but Burr left actually figuring he won a duel fair and square, right? Uh, then he was shocked to learn that like a lot of people were actually sad Alexander Hamilton being killed, which was shocking, of course, because Alexander Hamilton, the real one, not the one from Broadway, is an actual asshole. Yeah. So people were like, he was like, why why what people care <laughs> like what <the> hell? <laughs> like what's going on so he so yeah burr thought he won just like fair and square but you know people were mad and uh burr had to flee new york and took refuge in south carolina uh, murder charges were brought against him but eventually his political allies got those removed and burr's career would kind of tank after that i don't think it's directly related but he did this was basically past his pride in politics he uh would get accused of treason Later on, during um, a war with Mexico, I think it was, and uh, he was absolved of those charges. But yeah, eventually he would die in, in like the 1830s. But I just thought it was wild because uh, it seems like like did not really much, not really much push them to fight each other, right? I mean, like yeah, there was like this long tension of like political differences, and then uh, those two like messing with each other's careers. But like. I don't know. I, I feel like I've felt more resentment from other people and I haven't dueled them, but I guess I live in more <laughs> civilized times. Yeah, I I can only imagine because that's scary. And yeah. I think that is the indicator of, like, I always think you if you have, what's that saying? Like, if you stand for nothing, you fall for everything. But if you stand by your opinions and your beliefs enough that you will go gun to gun with someone in a duel... That says you really believe <laughs> yeah. in, in your stance and you're willing to die for it. So I just think no one's that passionate anymore. <laughs> I think it's funny because uh, I've always been confused why this is sort of related, why liberals like Alexander Hamilton. And because like uh, I remember learning about him and I was like, OK, so this guy's kind of an asshole the entire time. He's kind of elitist. He didn't want the formation of a uh, democracy. He wanted like to appoint uh, George Washington or somebody, uh, King. He, he was hated so much that the founding fathers wanted to figure out, well, I mean, he was one of them, but a lot of the founding fathers wanted to figure out a way to like technically exclude Hamilton from being qualified for being president, which is not the only reason, but partly the reason why that there was a, uh, like you had to be born in America to be, yeah. to be president. Uh, he wasn't, he was born outside of the 13 colonies. Yeah. And, so, like, I've never understood why people like him. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll find something as I'm reading about <laughs> this. And, like, every source was like, like, Hamilton was brilliant in certain ways. But, like, 
he's he was asshole. unkind. Like everyone didn't like him. That's the same thing with them. Um, I think it's Poe, Edgar Allan Poe. He had yeah. a, a, an infamous rivalry with another writer. And only when he died did people become fascinated with him and his life and like his work because here's this like gothic dude who is he was basically insane but people really loved it post like post what's the word post humorous how do you say it posthumous posthumous yeah <laughs> post humorous <laughs> post humorous that's how you should pronounce it based on how it's written <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. I wonder if Hamilton has like a similar reputation. Though again, I feel like the only is kind of rude to liberals, but the only reason why they like Alexander Hamilton is because there was a Broadway play by liberals <laughs> exalting his uh, ver- extolling his virtues. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was funny. I mean, I don't even yeah. think Aaron Burr was great. Uh, they both seem kind of like uh, assholes. Um, yeah, like a douche. That's why I like about history. His history is when you learn like the real history of stuff. It's Got interesting moments like this where I don't think yeah. there was any good guys. It's kind of funny. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So that happened in New Jersey. That's wild. Didn't know that. Yeah, represent New Jersey. Yeah, what a great history. I don't even know where Weehawken is. I assume it's in the north. Yeah, I think so. North, central, central north. No, I think it could be really up north. I'm thinking. Uh, it's like basically New York. Yeah. Cool. Oh, so uh, you want to talk about businesses? Yes. Black about- businesses black owned restaurants in new jersey so this week for my segment i wanted to highlight a few black owned restaurants in new jersey and we mentioned about every week about how the restaurant industry has been deeply impacted by the pandemic and it's in a way that is almost exclusive to the restaurant industry because a lot of the employees in the restaurant industry rely on tips i mean we've it highlights a bigger issue in the restaurant industry about salary and benefits and all that great stuff that is not typically afforded to most people who work in the restaurant industry. And it's something that we should look into in the future because no one should have to hope that you get someone who basically supplements your your income. You know what I mean? If someone tips poorly, you're basically robbing your server of a living wage. And that's not that's not cool. So a a way that we can all help out, and we talked about it before with the restaurant industry, is making sure you you shop locally and you do takeout and delivery and all that the stuff that, you know, enjoy your local restaurants because there's so many issues with the the small, what was it, the small business loans, how small business Chipotle owners and you know, the kind of uh franchise establishments were also able to get those grants when you know those grants should have been afforded to locally owned businesses but that's neither here nor there so with this revolutionary moment for black lives matters i wanted to have a quick spotlight on just a few of the black owned restaurants in new jersey that have had a long standing history with our state and their menus are incredible so I got a majority of this information from a NewJersey.com article titled 20 Black-Owned New Jersey Restaurants You Need to Try in 2020, and also from the specific websites um, for the restaurant. So if you're looking for a breakfast, like cafe kind of option, um, there's this place called Coffee and Cornbread in Teaneck, and they're actually the, the co-owners, their sisters, uh, Monique and Monica, they are actually moving from that location to a location in Montclair. So stay tuned. I think it's supposed to happen later this year. Um, so I think they're closing their T-neck location in July, if I can remember correctly, but they're going to reopen in Montclair. And about them, they said, quote, we founded Coffee and Cornbread with a simple mission in mind to serve our community simple, delicious, clean eats and coffee at an affordable price. We believe in crafting food with integrity, using organic non-GMO ingredients for each of our comfort food staples. You'll find plenty of breakfast and lunch favorites on our menu from chicken and waffles to BLTs, along with a variety of vegan options for our plant-based friends. Comfort food with a conscience. Now that's what we're all about. So you can follow them on Instagram at Coffee and Cornbread and just keep, you know, keep in your mind that they're moving their location to Montclair shortly. And a few, a couple lunch slash dinner options. So there's this place called Simply Southern in Belmar. 
And this is a production from a New York, a former New York Giants player, Rashid Simmons, and his mom, Rita Simmons. NJ.com has named Simply Southern one of the best places in New Jersey to get fried chicken. And Rashid Simmons, the former New York Giants player, he said, quote, to um, NJ Advanced Media, he said, quote, one of our mottos here that we really pride ourselves in is serving our Southern food as eloquently and as top-notch as we can. So you can follow them on Instagram at Simply Southern Belmar NJ. And then next up is a New Brunswick restaurant that has been around for over 20 years. So Delta is located in the heart of New Brunswick's downtown cultural district. They say from the restaurant website, they say Delta's is a celebration of the spirit of the South. Join us for traditional and not so traditional Southern cuisine, creative cocktails and live music in an atmosphere that makes you feel like you just got a hug from Big Mama or Nana. So the restaurant, if you've, you just go to the website or their Instagram account, it's gorgeous in there. And um, anytime I've gone there pre-COVID, the place is packed. <laughs> and I haven't, because of that, I haven't been able to actually dine there. My husband and their friends have gone there a few times. It's one of those things of like with any restaurant, if you try to go there and it's just packed, you just like, and you're starving, you just go to the next one. <laughs> but it is on Instagram at Delta's 99. And then I wanted to highlight a few food truck options. So there's this food truck company called Bro Ritos, and they are based in Hackensack, but they can be found in Woodbridge and Hoboken. What is so it called? Bro, it's Bro Ritos. So it's like Love burritos, it. but yeah. bro. That's what I thought. I yeah. that. <laughs> so um, from, their, from the New Jersey.com uh, article, it says, quote, opened in 2016, Bro Ritos has been featured on TLC's Cake Boss, and New Jersey Advanced Media has named it a top 40 food truck in New Jersey. Some days they may be in Woodbridge, others they may be in Hoboken. Their quote-unquote bro calendar lists which city or town the truck will stop in next. And you can follow them on Instagram at broritosft. And then this last one I am going to go to as soon as I possibly can. Uh, it's called Too Much Sauce. And I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm a huge sauce person. So like, if I could have... Uh, like a whole sampling of all the sauces at any restaurant, I would. So this is a food truck and there there's basically their story is whether you're a fried food fanatic or on a cheat day from the gym, our food truck will get your taste buds jumping and your stomach filled. Here's how it works. You choose a protein, chicken, shrimp, and or fish. Then you choose a sauce. There's over 13 different flavors and countless combinations. And then you could also make it a combo if you add like seasoned fries. And they're based in Plainfield and um, they offer a number of different sauces. I want to name a few because I was stalking them on Instagram for quite some time because I just can't believe that it's here, you know? <laughs> so their sauces that they have, they have sweet, spicy, dry rub, savory. So on their sweet side, called Liddy, honey garlic, honey chipotle, teriyaki, bourbon, general sow, and cannon barbecue. They're spicy side. So they have buffalo, sweet chili, mango habanero, jerk BBQ, and boom boom. And their dry rub, they have Cajun, lemon pepper, Old Bay, and then cinnamon chipotle. And for the savory side, lift, garlic, garlic parmesan, lemon pepper, garlic, and buttered Old Bay. So you can follow them on Instagram at too much sauce food truck. And I want to warn you, it, it's, it's my heaven. It's fried food, very saucy. You can't get enough of it. <laughs> but that's basically the end of the spotlight. Um, and I'm going to try to spotlight other black owned businesses in New Jersey, because with everything that's going on in today's climate, you know, any way you can support the community and do what you can to, you know, protest, whether it's, you know, physically being in the protest or protesting with your purse. If you, that's what everyone's calling for. Anytime you see someone who's a racist bigot, don't have them on your payroll and don't support their business. And on the other side of it, send your money <laughs> where you want to see change happen. But that's that's it. That that's great. Uh, thank you for your list. Are we going to include it? Uh, so the links in the show yes. notes. Yes. 
I'm going to do a link to that, but there was two websites, I mean, links I could add. So there was one that was newjersey.com did a whole segment on um, black owned businesses in general in New Jersey and did different lists. So the one I was working off of and went into was the, the black owned restaurants um, in New Jersey. Cool. And yeah. And it follows through with the, the same thing we've been saying before is support your local businesses during COVID and whenever you can specifically support the restaurant industry, because as I said, they are one of the hardest hit. Yeah, that's probably what I'm going to go do right now. Yeah, I made me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I think it's because I've been on a calorie deficit for so long. So the past two weeks, all I've been thinking about is like diner food and fried food, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this yeah. is this is great. Yeah. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. Um, be sure to rate us on iTunes. Give us a nice five or maybe at least four star rating. Uh, tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you don't like about the show. Be sure to follow our Instagram, uh, Jersey Matters Podcast, as well as our Twitter at Jersey underscore matters. Also check out our website for more cool information. Uh, that's jerseymatterspodcast.com. Yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks. Have a good one. I'm Mike, signing out. And I'm Casey. Goodbye.